Welcome to the new Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller from WMHT.org. David Allen Miller conducts the Albany Symphony and he provides commentary on the WMHT live broadcast. David's commentary is full of fascinating stories about the music, the performances, and more. In order to keep the program mostly music, some of what he provides ends up on the cutting room floor. This podcast contains no music, but it does contain all of David Allen Miller's commentary from the concert broadcast on WMHT Live on WMHT-FM, your classical companion. The Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller's commentary for the Albany Symphony Concert Broadcast is made possible in part by a grant from the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music, supporting nonprofit organizations that have a history of substantial commitment to contemporary music. Every now and then I like to design a concert that's really unconventional in presentation. You know, it's nice to do an overture, a concerto, and a symphony, but it's also a lot of fun to try something really different. And I've had this idea that I'd love to feature one particular instrument in all sorts of guises on a particular concert, and uh, this is the concert on which we do that. It came about because uh, I've always been fascinated by by instrumental teaching, by what makes the greatest instrumental teachers uh, so effective with their students. Why is it that certain teachers seem to have just unbelievable students, kids whose virtuosity and intonation and rhythm and fundamental skills are just uniformly amazing? And I happen to know a really amazing violin teacher, arguably one of the greatest violin teachers in the world, a fellow named Bob Lipset, who teaches at the Colburn School in Los Angeles, where I grew up and where I spent a lot of years as a young conductor, as the assistant conductor of the L.A. Philharmonic. And while I was at the L.A. Philharmonic, I noted that Bob's students were always the prize winners in every single competition the Philharmonic or any other institution in Los Angeles had. And so I got to know him and got to know his students, and at a certain point even began to uh, spend a lot of time with him, sort of studying just exactly how he teaches and how he turns out such amazing students. And he mentioned to me uh, another equally amazing teacher, a man named Richard Aaron, who currently teaches at the University of Michigan, as well as at the Juilliard School. Richard, unlike Bob, is not a violinist. He's a cellist. And he has amazing cello studios, both at the University of Michigan and at Juilliard and at Aspen, where he often spends a lot of time in the summer. And I actually went down and visited him at Juilliard uh, and had a wonderful visit with him and uh, asked him whether he might consider sort of co-creating a concert with me, featuring all of his or many of his amazing students in a whole panoply of works for cello and orchestra. And of course, being a teacher who's completely devoted to his students, he jumped at the idea and really loved the idea of being able to feature some of his spectacular students in a concert with a, a wonderful professional orchestra like the Albany Symphony. And so the idea of this concert was born out of that discussion. Uh, So what we did was we agreed, Richard and I, that we would bring four of his students from the University of Michigan, as well as an equal number from the Juilliard School. But Richard also very much wanted to uh, feature a former student of his, a brilliant young cellist who's now a a professional cellist uh, pursuing a solo career named Julie Albers, uh, who's a phenomenal soloist. Uh, And we thought it would be great to feature her in a brand new work. So as part of this project, we commissioned a young Juilliard composing student that we both have worked with before, uh, Gitti Razaz, to write a new piece. So old music, new music, classics, as well as some very unfamiliar works for cello and orchestra uh, make up the body of this concert. Now, the question came up, what should the orchestra's role be in the concert? You know, should the orchestra just be a backup band? I I really wanted also to feature the beauty of our musicians uh, as well. And so 
I had thought of a piece that um, sort of linked to this concert. It's a piece by Beethoven, an early work, that uh, is only partially known. It's uh, the ballet that he wrote that was premiered in 1801 called The Creatures of Prometheus. Uh, And the overture, Creatures of Prometheus, is well known by Beethoven. But in the ballet, there are about 35 minutes of extraordinary music following the ballet. So I thought what would be nice would be to begin with the overture to The Creatures of Prometheus and then to weave some of the other movements of this ballet into the the body of the concert. And the reason I thought of the creatures of Prometheus is because there's a an absolutely magnificent, beautiful cello solo movement in the middle of, of the ballet uh, that's seldom heard because the full ballet is almost never performed. And I thought it would be a nice chance to play uh, an orchestral work by Beethoven, but an orchestral work with a very prominent cello solo that could be a, a chance to feature our own magnificent principal cellist, Susan Libby. So we began with Beethoven's overture to the Creatures of Prometheus. Again, this is an overture to a really uh, extensive ballet that Beethoven wrote. We don't really think of Beethoven as a ballet composer because we don't really think of the beginning of the 19th century as a time when there was a lot of ballet. But there certainly were ballet performances and there was ballet in operas uh, frequently when ballet, when operas were produced. Uh, and um, But this is a standalone balletic work, uh, not based on the myth of Prometheus. Uh, this is sort of after, I guess, after he's been released from his bondage there uh, attached to the stone. And in this ballet, it's really about uh, Prometheus, this hero, uh, going and, and uh, finding two statues and turning them into essentially human beings and then having them learn about all the arts, about music and drama and uh, and dance. So now uh, to begin this very sprightly and spry, beautiful overture by Beethoven, it's the overture to the Creatures of Prometheus from 1801. The orchestra is the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. This is the Conductor's Notes Podcast, only from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org. That was Beethoven's Overture to the Creatures of Prometheus, his early, beautiful ballet, and it was performed by the Albany Symphony with me, David Allen Miller, conducting. The first celloistic work on our Cellobration concert is a, a... an unfamiliar work to most non-cellists, but it's by a sort of guardian angel of the cello repertoire. David Popper uh, is perhaps the most famous pedagogue of cello from the 19th century. Uh, And he is known to all cellists far and wide because in a way he's sort of the Chopin of the cello, undoubtedly not as great a composer as Chopin, but a a very fine, wonderful composer uh, who is like Chopin, uh, known by all cellists because, as you know, Chopin wrote that incredible collection of etudes for the piano, which are essentially the high watermark of pianistic technique. And all pianists of any substance have to wrestle with those work through their long uh, lives and careers. Careers. Uh, they sort of ask the pianist to do every possible technical feat of, of uh, excess. Uh, and if a pianist can play through all the Chopin etudes, he or she is, in fact, a completely polished, finished pianist. Popper occupies a similar place in the world of cello playing. He wrote a set of, of etudes, which are kind of the bread and butter of technical building capability of every cellist. And cellists spent their whole lives working on the Popper etudes, along with all the great concertos and solo works of the repertoire. But in addition to writing these famous etudes, Popper was a very serious composer and also a very virtuosic cellist. And one of his most famous concert works is a work that was originally for uh, three cellos and piano called The Requiem. Not surprisingly, having a title like Requiem, uh, it's a a somewhat introspective work, a very heartfelt work. 
and uh, a very sort of beautiful Wagnerian kind of utterance. It's been uh, transcribed by other composers uh, for string orchestra as well as for full orchestra, and we're playing the seldom-heard full orchestra version, so it features three solo cellists along with full orchestra in this beautiful uh, sort of Wagnerian, Straussian language that Popper uses. Popper was born in 1843 and died in 1913 and uh, really dominated the world of cello playing in his lifetime. Fascinating figure. This Requiem by David Popper features three of Richard Aaron's remarkable students, Bronwyn Bannert, Sohee Chang, and Madeline Huberth. Again, David Popper's Requiem for Three Cellos and Orchestra. This is the Conductor's Notes Podcast. Only from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org. That was David Popper's Requiem, Opus 66, featuring cellists Bronwyn Bannert, Sohee Chang, and Madeline Huberth. They were all accompanied by the Albany Symphony. Next on the program, another movement from Beethoven's Creatures of Prometheus. This is this amazing uh, work for solo cello, along with uh, solo woodwinds, features very prominently the flute and the clarinet and uh, the bassoon as well. Uh, And it features our remarkable principal players of the Albany Symphony, particularly Susan Libby, the principal cellist of the Albany Symphony. I just thought it would be nice to feature Susan alongside these young uh, students of Richard Aarons uh, so we can hear some beautiful orchestral cello music as well. This is uh, the introduction to Act Two uh, of the ballet Creatures of Prometheus. And in this scene, which begins with these three mysterious harp arpeggios. This is the scene in which Prometheus awakens these two statues and they begin very gently to dance together. My, my thinking in, in researching the creatures of Prometheus and, and in having remembered that there was this very prominent cello, solo cello movement, uh, my thinking was to try to figure out why Beethoven featured the cello so prominently in the work. And I think I, I figured it out. It turns out that the work was a collaboration with a very famous young Italian choreographer and ballet dancer of the day named Salvatore Viganò. And it turns out that Viganò was the nephew of a a legendary cellist and cello composer, Luigi Boccherini. You perhaps know his famous uh, cello concerto. And uh, so I'm absolutely certain that Beethoven, knowing this filial relationship between Viganò and um, Boccherini, decided to write a sort of homage to Viganò's famous uncle and encoded this kind of mini cello concerto in his ballet, The Creatures of Prometheus. So now Beethoven's Creatures of Prometheus, the introduction to Act Two with the Albany Symphony and with Susan Libby as cello solo. This is the Conductor's Notes podcast, only from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org. That was the introduction to Act Two of The Creatures of Prometheus, Beethoven's Ballet from 1801. It featured Susan Libby as cello soloist with the Albany Symphony conducted by me, David Allen Miller. The final work on the first half of our program is a rather more substantial work in length. Uh, It's one of the most famous of all cello concertos, but again, a a work from a a very different era from, from, for example, the Dvorak concerto, the kind of greatest of all cello concertos. This is one of the two concertos by Franz Josef Haydn. Uh, And these two concertos had a very sort of checkered history in that that for a long time, it was thought that one or, uh, or the other of them were in fact not actually Haydn's works, but were actually misattributed to him. 
But eventually, actually by the mid-1930s, both the manuscripts to both concertos had been found and seemed to suggest that both the C major, the very early concerto by Haydn, and this beautiful D major, sort of a mid-career concerto by Haydn, are in fact uh, the great master's own works. Part of the reason they were disputed for so many years is that they're very unlike any other of Haydn's works, particularly this D major concerto. Uh, It's structurally a very strange piece. It's in three movements, but it has a really big, long first movement, which occupies probably two-thirds of the length of the piece, followed by a very brief slow movement, followed by a very brief and very charming, almost uh, folk song-like finale. Uh, The the themes are beautiful, and the orchestral handling, as you'll hear, of, of the piece is just dazzling in its clarity and beauty, suggesting that this is, in fact, Haydn's work. And the cello writing is extremely idiomatic. Unlike so many other cello pieces, uh, Haydn really understood and appreciated the the beauty of of the high cello register. That the cello, which we often think of as a a bass instrument, as one of the lower instruments in the orchestra, has an incredibly expressive high register. In fact, I think one of the reasons why there are so few really masterpiece cello concertos, and why Dvorak waited so long to write his, is that very often uh, composers don't fully appreciate the incredible range of the cello that it can play such deep, soulful music, and yet such high, really vocal, expressive uh, music as well. Anyway, these two concertos of Haydn, the first C major and this, the D major, which we're about to hear, uh, are both, uh, frankly, loved and feared by cellists, particularly the D major, because it's one of the most difficult concertos in the cello repertoire, and yet it doesn't sound particularly difficult. When played well, it just sounds extremely beautiful. Uh, There's also a lot of uh, discussion about the fact that, in a way, this concerto may have been essentially co-composed. The cellist in Esterhazy, where Haydn ran the orchestra and and worked for the the Esterhazy family, uh, was a a really remarkable cellist, also a very fine composer named Anton Kraft. And he was, in fact, a student, a composition student of Haydn's, as well as being uh, the cellist in his orchestra. And so it's considered by many people that perhaps this is almost like a co-production, that these may, in fact, be Kraft's themes. Uh, That's why the first movement has rather four-square themes that aren't very characteristic of Haydn, but that it was Haydn who really helped develop the piece and perhaps orchestrated it for, uh, for Kraft. The cello writing is so idiomatic and so virtuosic and so technically involved that it's thought that maybe Kraft did more of the work on the solo part and Haydn did more of the work on the orchestra part. Either way, it's a remarkable piece and a beautiful piece, a very soulful and songful piece. Uh, it's played by a, a brilliant young uh, cellist who's a graduate student of Richard Aaron's at uh, at Michigan, University of Michigan. Matthew's uh, pursuing a doctorate there and is, is Richard's teaching assistant. And so the work is uh, the Haydn D major concerto, the concerto number two. It's in three movements. Allegro moderato is the first movement, a rather sprightly allegro, uh, or a relaxed uh, allegro, I should say. The second movement is an adagio, and the third movement is allegro, fast again, a rondo. Uh, So here now, Haydn's cello concerto number two, featuring Matthew Zalkin and the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. This is the Conductor's Notes podcast, only from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org. Our Celebration Weekend featured a great many more events than just the concert, the beautiful concert which you're now hearing. In addition, Richard Aaron, a brilliant cello teacher, came and gave a master class to four very gifted young area cello soloists, a very insightful, fascinating discussion in which he talked about his theories of teaching. It seems that after having had a very successful career as a very young man playing in professional orchestras in Israel and Europe, uh, he came back to Seattle, Washington, and uh, didn't have a job, so he began teaching Suzuki cello. 
although he'd never really trained as a Suzuki cello teacher, and spent about 10 years actually teaching just very, very young students the basics of cello. And developed quite an international reputation doing that, and it was then that he was recognized and invited to uh, come be a professor at uh, the Cleveland Institute of Music, where he developed an astounding young cello class, but continued his his nurturing of, of very young students, and then moved from there to the University of Michigan, as well as to Juilliard and the Aspen Festival. Uh, And so Richard has taught at all levels, beginning cellists as well as the the greatest sort of master students, and has wonderfully creative ideas about learning the cello, about using the bow, about organizing one's approach to the cello, organizing the left hand, organizing different approaches to the bow. Whenever his students speak about him, they talk about him as being an incredibly uh, organized person and a person who really can explain to young cellists absolutely how to solve every possible technical problem in a really orderly and organized fashion. Then Sunday evening, after the two performances of, these, of this concert, uh, we had an amazing event that, that Richard led at uh, the beautiful Zankel Hall at Skidmore College, uh, a cello jam in which we invited every cellist from around the region, amateurs, professionals, students, uh, and we had an, an incredible panoply of cellists from fifth and sixth graders all the way up to um, retired people who, who play purely for for enjoyment, as well as lots of professionals and teachers and members of our orchestra and members of the Empire State Youth Orchestra. Uh, it was just a great time. And they all, all 70 or so of them, along with Richard students, sat on the stage of Zankel Hall and played cello choir music for about two and a half hours. Beautiful, beautiful sounding massed cello event. And Richard gave a little bit of insight into the world of cello playing and, and practicing and learning scales and such. So we had just a great celebration of the cello uh, all week and long. The second half of our program began with a, a rarity by the Italian composer Ottorino Respighi. Respighi, as I'm sure you remember, sort of the, the greatest orchestral composer among Italian composers of the 20th century, uh, famous for his rather early work, The Pines of Rome, as well as his other works, the, the Fountains and the Festivals of Rome. This work falls just a few years after that uh, kind of path-breaking sumptuous orchestral tour de force, The Pines of Rome. Uh, Respighi wrote that piece in 1917, and this work was written in 1920. It's an adagio con variazioni, an adagio with variations, a very lyrical, expressive, again, a soulful piece, a piece that really exploits the kind of singing tone and the rich warmth of the cello's voice. This uh, adagio uh, by Respighi features a a remarkable young cello soloist, 16-year-old Sarina Zhang, who is a student at the Juilliard School in the pre-college division. She's also a student of Veda Kaplinsky at the Juilliard School on the piano. And in addition to her remarkable cello playing, she performs with uh, on the piano with such... Uh, minor institutions as the New York Philharmonic, uh, with which she just performed the Bernstein Age of Anxiety, his, sec- his piano concerto, which is an ex- extremely daunting work. So she's a kind of a, a pitch hitter. She can go cello or piano and just a remarkable artist uh, who gave just incredible uh, performances of the Bernstein with the New York Philharmonic, as well as of Respighi's Adagio con Variazioni on this program with the Albany Symphony. Here she is playing it now. This is the Conductor's Notes podcast, only from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org. That was cellist Sarina Zhang playing Respighi's Adagio con Variazioni with the Albany Symphony. Next on the program, this brand new work that we commissioned expressly for this celebration. 
a few years ago, the Albany Symphony and I had had the pleasure of performing a, a, a clarinet concerto by a very gifted young Juilliard student, an Iranian-born young lady named Gitti Razaz, who uh, at that time was an undergraduate at the Juilliard School. And we had a program in which we invited three young Juilliard students to compose uh, sort of Baroque-inspired pieces for different instruments, and Gitti selected the clarinet and wrote a just, just an amazing, uh, very concise little 10-minute clarinet concerto that, that brought down the house. Uh, in addition, in my discussions with Richard Aaron about programming this concert, when I mentioned Gitti's name, he said, oh yes, I had a wonderful octet from her for eight cellos, which we played in Amsterdam, he said, and wouldn't it be wonderful to have a piece from her? So since we both knew her and had really liked her music, we decided to commission a new work for this concert from Gitti Razaz. Uh, this is a new cello concerto called Afterthoughts, uh, and it was, as I mentioned, uh, written for uh, one of Richard's amazing former students, the virtuoso Julie Albers, who plays it on this concert. In describing the concerto, which is a very abstract work, Giddy talked to the audience about um, how at first she had really hoped and planned to write a cello rhapsody, not a concerto at all, but had a lot of trouble kind of writing in a free form. And so even though the work ended up in one movement, it doesn't have any stops, so uh, it's about a 14-minute piece without interruption, uh, she ended up kind of refashioning the whole thing to, to essentially be a concerto with a first movement that begins kind of beautifully with just the solo cello singing this very important line, which will become the melodic material of a great deal of the piece, uh, and then the orchestra joins in. So a, a rather fast and, and interesting, beautiful, virtuosic first movement, but then about uh, four or five minutes in, uh, the mood changes and it becomes very still, and then a very, I think, very beautiful, uh, still very abstract, but very beautiful slow movement with the cello singing very lyrical lines while the orchestra plays kind of beautiful chords behind her. And that leads to, uh, eventually, to some faster music, and then a, a solo cadenza, which, um, again, Kitty said that that in working on the piece, she, she probably rewrote the cadenza about ten times. It started very virtuosic and very fast, and as she worked on it, it became simpler and kind of uh, shorter. So it's not a very long cadenza, but it's a, a very beautiful and kind of, again, very introspective cadenza, which then leads to the last section or the last movement of the piece, which is kind of a, a, a part that's filled with tumult. The cello, as she says, keeps turning back on itself. It has these kind of low, difficult passages that keep kind of recycling themselves over and over again. So a, a very dramatic, but a very, um, a very abstract work. This is a brand new concerto because I think it took her so long to, to conceive and and find her way with the piece, she named it Afterthoughts for Cello and Orchestra. It receives its world premiere on these concerts with Julie Albers as the brilliant cello soloist, accompanied by the Albany Symphony and me, David Allen Miller, conducting. This is the Conductor's Notes podcast, only from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org. The Conductor's Notes podcast, featuring David Allen Miller's commentary for the Albany Symphony Concert Broadcast, is made possible in part by a grant from the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music, supporting nonprofit organizations that have a history of substantial commitment to contemporary music. That was Gitti Razaz's Afterthoughts for Cello and Orchestra, featuring Julie Albers as cello soloist, accompanied by the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. Next, another very um, special movement from Beethoven's Creatures of Prometheus. This is the last of the three excerpts from Creatures of Prometheus, which are on this program. Uh, And this is, in fact, the finale of the ballet. 
Uh, and this finale is particularly noteworthy because it features an extremely famous theme, a theme that, that seems to have just obsessed Beethoven. Not only did he use this theme for this finale, which is in the form of a set of variations, but he then wrote a set of piano variations, entirely different piece based on the same theme. And then he was so captivated by this theme or fascinated by it that he then deployed it or employed it as the finale of his uh, Eroica symphony, of his third symphony. So it's that very famous tune, da di da 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 di da dum bum 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 ba bum ba da dum da dum di dum da di da dum and so on and so forth. But what's so fascinating is that he he uses it so differently in these three pieces. It's possible that this was a theme that belonged to Haydn. One of my flutists, our principal flutist Floyd Hebert, in fact, mentioned to me that this theme seems to appear in one of Haydn's flute chamber music pieces. So it's possible that it was an homage to Haydn initially, but uh, there's no doubt that Beethoven just found this little theme, this simple, joyful, almost folk-like theme, just uh, having unbelievable amounts of potential, of possibility. So this is uh, not the finale of the Eroica Symphony, although it sounds suspiciously similar to it, particularly because the theme is the same. It's a much more, dare I say, simple approach to the material. And um, because he wrote it uh, three or so years before writing the Eroica finale, it's it's in a somewhat uh, more classical, pure kind of style. The finale from Beethoven's Creatures of Prometheus, featuring the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. This is the Conductor's Notes Podcast, only from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org. That was the finale of Beethoven's Creatures of Prometheus, with that very famous Eroica theme in it, and it was played by the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. The final work on our program was, in fact, uh, a work by a, a very early composer. So we've covered the modern period with Gitti Razos' piece. We've covered the classical period with Haydn and with Beethoven. We've covered uh, the romantic period with David Popper and with Respighi. And now we go actually back to very a very early time in, uh, in the world of cello playing to uh, the world of Antonio Vivaldi. This is his concerto for two cellos, a uh, very interesting and unusual concerto for Vivaldi. You know, he wrote so many works for solo instruments, so many concerti, usually for solo instruments, but often for combinations of instruments. But this uh, concerto for two cellos must have been a real rarity in Vivaldi's time. It's in G minor. It's got a kind of dark, exciting, uh, storm and stress kind of feeling to it. Uh, it was probably written, as so many of his concerti were, for students at the girls' school in Venice, where Vivaldi spent much of his career. Uh, And it's a a beautiful work in three movements, a fast, very exciting first movement, a a very expressive second movement, and a, a really vital, vibrant third movement. Our two young cellists for this performance are Nathan Chan from New York uh, and Nathaniel Pierce from the University of Michigan. So these two gentlemen, I don't even know that they had ever met before. They're both, uh, well, I guess Nathan from New York is in his teens, just beginning at Juilliard, first-year student at Juilliard, also doing a a degree at Columbia in economics. Uh, Nathaniel is a little bit older, 21 years old, doing, I think, a master's at the University of Michigan. Uh, They'd never worked together that I knew of, but they'd been Skyping together to prepare the piece. And uh, I really encourage them to to do it in an extremely Baroque style. So when, for example, in the second movement, in the slow movement, they repeat both the first and the second half, uh, they add a great deal of figuration and embellishment, and they play, I believe, in a, a wonderfully Baroque style. You have to remember that the cello was probably not even 
invented in its modern form until probably the early or mid-1500s. And it was only with um, the the beginning creations of the great sort of father of the violin and the cello and and the whole violin family, uh, Andrea Amati, that violins and cellos began to appear in the 1500s around Europe and began to sort of supplant the gambas, the other school, the other type of, of string instrument that was so prevalent prior to the advent of the violin family. And so here's Vivaldi writing uh, probably in the early 1700s, not even 200 years after the creation of uh, this amazing instrument, the cello. And at that time, the cello was still often thought of as, as really just a bass instrument, an instrument that sort of went along with the bass line of the, the harpsichord, what's called the continuo uh, of, of any ensemble. And yet at the same time, in the 1600s, this new approach to the cello of, of these traveling virtuoso cellists who began to discover that, that by uh, having the makers fashion a much smaller instrument than had been the norm, uh, they could play a lot faster and a lot more virtuosic and a lot uh, more, more virtuosic passages and a lot higher on the instrument. And so this, this idea of the virtuosic solo cellist really only began to emerge in the 1600s. So here's Vivaldi now writing in probably the early 1700s and writing for this kind of instrument. Uh, it's fascinating to think that this was really, in a way, kind of the the early uh, world. This was just the very beginning of the history of the cello when Vivaldi was writing this double concerto for two solo cellists, a kind of uh, dazzling idea uh, in so, so early in the cello's life. But here it is now, uh, this beautiful work by Antonio Vivaldi. It's his concerto for two cellos in G minor, again in three movements, Allegro, Largo, and Allegro. The two cello soloists are Nathan Chan and Nathaniel Pierce. They're accompanied by the Albany Symphony conducted by me, David Allen Miller. The new Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller from WMHT.org. David Allen Miller conducts the Albany Symphony and he provides commentary on the WMHT live broadcast. David's commentary is full of fascinating stories about the music, the performances, and more. In order to keep the program mostly music, some of what he provides ends up on the cutting room floor. This podcast contains no music, but it does contain all of David Allen Miller's commentary from the concert broadcast on WMHT Live on WMHT-FM, your classical companion.